dark and menacing. I tower under the scrutiny of the sun and the moon. I never sleep. I must intimidate these two powerful beacons in the sky through the day and the night, for they cannot stop me. They can only watch and bear witness. In a time long ago that I can barely remember, I was majestic and regal. That time is a distant memory now, more like a dream that one awakens from, full of sadness and clouded memory. My bones of brick and mortar were baptized in suffering and despair. I tasted its bitter essence, and like the junkies that now reside in these walls, I became addicted. A ravenous hunger now grows within me, a hunger for pain, a hunger for blood. I cannot get enough of it. The sun and the moon hide themselves behind clouds full of rain when my lust for human misery is too much for them. They rain tears of sorrow, but I soak those up too. The Cecil Hotel, Los Angeles, California Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we are discussing the unsolved case of the bizarre death of Eliza Lamb at the notorious Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, California. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave us an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. The sun was beating down, causing my shirt to stick to my back and sweat to trickle down my chest. The feeling caused goosebumps to course down my arms. It was your average hot summer day in California. But there is nothing average about the street I am walking down. Skid Row is like a world of its own. Cars are constantly zooming by and birds continue to chirp all seemingly oblivious to the tent homes that line the sidewalks. The smell of urine is overwhelming at times, but the people you meet seem at peace with their surroundings, oddly at peace with their life. I can hear tarps flapping in the summer wind while hip-hop music blares from somewhere in the distance. It is surreal compared to the lives that other people live just a few blocks away. It wasn't my first trip to Los Angeles. I had spent an entire summer on Venice Beach with Jay, my best friend, before his accident. Just two bachelors living the surfer's life in one of the most beautiful locations in the world. We lost him that next spring. 
He was an avid rock climber, so it was a shock when he fell no more than 30 feet from the ground while guiding a group on a climb at Yosemite National Park. His harness had snapped. He might have survived had he not landed head first on a rock. He hung on for two weeks after surgery, but finally the doctors declared him brain dead. The weeks following his funeral, I couldn't shake the feeling that he was with me. I woke up in the mornings reaching for the phone with an urgent need to hear his voice. He should have been with me on this trip, but then again, he had never believed in an afterlife or the paranormal. No, if Jay were still here, I wouldn't have been on this trip at all. Honestly, I had never believed in ghosts either, but losing Jay left me in a dark place. I began to search, hoping to find reassurance that I would see him again someday and that he was okay. I began looking into stories about people who had died and come back. Many of them claimed to have seen family or friends who had died before them. I considered this as an option, but I was too much of a coward to take the risk. Besides, if I deliberately died, Jay would probably meet me on the other side and kick my ass. So I spent a small fortune on an EMF gauge and various equipment and started chasing ghosts. So far, I had found nothing but stories. This would be my last attempt to find any trace of a world beyond death, beyond what we know and live in. My family and friends were starting to worry about me and my new hobby. I was starting to worry myself. I knew that the Cecil Hotel was dangerous, nestled within the busy streets of downtown Los Angeles. It has a sordid history, chocked full of murder and all sorts of mysterious deaths and disappearances. It had been the location of at least 16 deaths and murders and suicides, not to mention unexplained paranormal happenings. It had even served as the home of some of America's most notorious serial killers. My friends thought I was crazy when I wanted to go for a stay. I wasn't bothered. They thought I was crazy before that. So I called and made a reservation, packed my bag and my ghost hunting gear, and headed to Los Angeles. Stepping through the entryway of the Cecil Hotel, felt like stepping back in time. I could almost hear the echo of a pianist playing as time goes by. It was almost magical, but that feeling faded quickly after I checked in and took the elevator up to the fifth floor where my room was. Stepping out of the elevator, the carpets were dingy and worn. The walls had paint peeling in places. Looking at the signs that directed you to the rooms, I found the set of numbers that I was looking for. I turned, ready to pull my bags down the long, dimly lit corridor. As I walked past the doors of other rooms, I could hear a television playing what sounded like a soap opera, and from another I could hear yelling, followed by glass shattering. Momentarily startled, I paused, but then began again only to be taken aback by the figure of a man standing at the far end of the hallway in the direction that I was headed. 
My heart stopped when recognition grasped me. It was Jay. Suddenly, I couldn't breathe. I dropped my heavy backpack, and it landed on my foot. The pain distracted me, but only for a moment. But when I looked back in his direction, he was gone. Maybe my family and friends are right. Maybe I am going crazy. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, also known as the Stay on Main, is notorious for its sordid reputation. The hotel has been filled with bizarre horrors since it opened in 1927. The hotel has been dubbed Hotel Death because of its reputation for crime, murder, and mysterious deaths. Some people believe that there are dark forces and spirits at work there. In January 2013, Canadian college student Elisa Lamb visited the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Her stay would soon join many in the history of strange and dark happenings that seem to plague the Cecil Hotel. Elisa Lamb lived with a secret that shouldn't have been a secret. She struggled with the push and pull and ups and downs of bipolar disorder. Elisa, who also sometimes went by her Cantonese name Lam Ho Yi, found comfort writing through her struggles and during her high points on her blog, Ether Fields, where she expressed disappointment in herself for relapsing into her illness. She abandoned this blog in favor of her Tumblr account, Nouvelle Nouveau, where she continued to write about her struggle with bouts of mania and depression. On January 13, 2013, Elisa posted that she booked her flight to explore San Diego, Los Angeles, 
Santa Cruz, and San Francisco on what she called her West Coast tour. Elisa's family worried when their daughter told them she was taking an impromptu solo journey to California. She eased their fears by compromising, promising to call every single day and let them know she was safe. She embarked on her trip on January 22, 2013. The first leg of Elisa's tour went as planned. She came to San Diego where she lounged around and stuffed herself with $3 meals and enjoyed the San Diego sights. Throughout her trip, she made good on her promise to contact her family every day. January 26th, Elisa Lam arrived in L.A. She had just come by Amtrak train from San Diego and was headed to Santa Cruz as part of her solo trip around the West Coast. The trip was supposed to be a getaway from her studies at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, where she was originally from. When Elisa arrived at the Cecil Hotel, also known as the Stay on Main, she stayed in a hostel-style shared room, but soon her roommates began to complain of her odd behavior. They complained that she would leave notes saying things like, get out, and refusing to answer the door without a password, and shortly after, Elisa was moved to a private room. January 31st. Elisa missed her check-in call with her parents. When her parents did not receive a phone call, they panicked. Elisa was supposed to check out that day, but the hotel was unaware of her leaving. So her parents got in contact with the Los Angeles Police Department. LAPD attempted to search the premises of the Cecil Hotel. They were unable to obtain a warrant allowing them to search each room but they were able to search the common areas and the rooftop. Still, they found no trace of Elisa. The days heading up to her disappearance, Elisa made a few odd blog posts. She mentioned she lost her phone at the speakeasy and strange men pursued her aggressively. Elisa was using public transportation to get around LA which is not the safest mode of travel for a single girl unfamiliar with the neighborhood. On February 14th, LAPD released a grainy CCT video of Elisa taken from inside an elevator in hopes that someone would recognize her. The footage showed Elisa in a distressed state. The elevator door appeared to be jammed as Elisa frantically pressed nearly all the buttons. She would exit and enter the elevator, as if she were hiding from some unseen person, and make strange gestures with her hands. The unsettling video went viral, and several theories emerged that someone or something was following Elisa. At the end of the video, Elisa walks out of the frame, never to be seen again. Two weeks after her disappearance and five days after the release of the video, hotel guests began to complain about low water pressure, a blackish tint, and a strange taste from the tap water. Santiago Lopez, a maintenance worker, responded to the complaints and went to look at the water tanks on the roof. Noticing the hatch to the main water tank was open, 
He hesitantly opened it and found the body of Elisa Lamb floating on top. Elisa was floating next to the same clothes she had been seen wearing in the surveillance footage bringing up more questions. Hotel staff recalls Elisa traveling around the hotel premise alone all of the time. The Cecil Hotel is a historic hotel located at 640 South Main Street in Los Angeles. Even before the Elisa Lamb issue, the hotel had a morbidly dark history. The Cecil was a grand hotel when it opened in 1927. But the Great Depression hit Los Angeles hard, and the hotel quickly fell into decline. As decades passed, thousands of homeless people began moving into the area, which is now known as Skid Row. The hotel could not command high rates due to its location, which attracted guests who needed the cheapest place to stay. Often these guests were at extremely low points in life. During the 1960s, locals called it the suicide, as the hotel has seen at least six suicides and several murders, including the murder of an infant. In the 1930s alone, the Cecil Hotel was home to at least six reported suicides. A few residents ingested poison, while others shot themselves, slit their own throats, or jumped out their bedroom windows. In 1934, for example, Army Sergeant Louis D. Borden slashed his throat with a razor. Less than four years later, Roy Thompson of the Marine Corps jumped from atop the Cecil Hotel and was found on the skylight of a neighboring building. The next few decades only saw more violent deaths. In September 1944, 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Purcell awoke in the middle of the night with stomach pains while she was staying at the Cecil with Ben Levine, 38. She went to the bathroom so as not to disturb a sleeping Levine, and to her complete shock, gave birth to a baby boy. She had no idea she had been pregnant. Mistakenly thinking her newborn was dead, Purcell threw her live baby out the window and onto the roof of a building next door. At her trial, she was found not guilty of murder by reason of insanity and she was admitted to a hospital for psychiatric treatment. In 1962, 65-year-old George Giannini was walking by the Cecil Hotel with his hands in his pockets when he was struck to death by a falling woman. Pauline Auten, 27, jumped from her ninth-floor window after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. Her fall killed both her and Giannini instantly. Police initially thought the two had committed suicide together, but reconsidered when they found Giannini was still wearing shoes. If he had jumped, his shoes would have fallen off mid-flight. Considering the suicide's mishaps and murders, Angelinos promptly dubbed the Cecil the most haunted hotel in Los Angeles. While tragic calamities and suicide have contributed heavily to the hotel's body count, the Cecil Hotel has served as a temporary home for some of the grisliest murderers in American history. In the mid-1980s, Richard Ramirez, murderer of 13 people and better known as the Night Stalker, 
lived in a room on the top floor of the hotel during much of his horrific killing spree. After killing someone, he would throw his bloody clothes into the Cecil Hotel's dumpster and saunter into the hotel lobby, either completely naked or only in underwear. None of which would have raised an eyebrow, writes journalist Josh Dean, since the Cecil in the 1980s was total, unmitigated chaos. At the time, Ramirez was able to stay there for a mere $14 per night. And with corpses and junkies reportedly often found in the alleys near the hotel, and sometimes even in the hallways, Ramirez's bloody-soaked lifestyle surely raised nary an eyebrow at the Cecil. In 1991, Austrian serial killer Jack Unterweger, who strangled prostitutes with their own bras, also called the hotel home. Rumor has it that he chose the hotel because of its connection to Ramirez. Because the area around the Cecil Hotel was popular with prostitutes, Hunter Vega stalked these environs time and again in search of victims. One prostitute he is believed to have killed vanished right down the street from the hotel while Unterweger even claimed to have dated the hotel's receptionist. And while some episodes of violence in and around the Cecil Hotel are attributable to known serial killers, some murders have remained unsolved. To pick one of many, a local woman known around the area named Goldie Osgood was found dead in her ransacked room at the Cecil. She had been raped before suffering a fatal stabbing and beating. Though one suspect was found walking with blood-stained clothing nearby, he was later cleared and her killer was never convicted. Another instance of disturbing violence at the Cecil Hotel that has gone unresolved. Another grimly noteworthy guest of the hotel was Elizabeth Short, who came to be known as the Black Dahlia after her 1947 murder in Los Angeles. She reportedly stayed at the hotel just before her mutilation, which remains unsolved. What connection her death may have had to the Cecil is not known, but what is known is that she was found on a street not far away on the morning of January 15th, with her mouth carved ear to ear and her body cut in two. Why would Elisa choose a hotel in such a poor location and with an evil past? Likely she didn't know. Elisa hoped to take a side trip to St. Louis Obispo and she was trying to stretch her traveling money as far as it could go. In San Diego, she bragged about eating $3 meals after all. It was clear that her cause of death was drowning. Eerie circumstances surrounding the drowning called the manner of death into question. Did Elisa drown herself? Did someone murder her? Was she influenced by the paranormal? Or was it a horrible accident? Skid Row was a scary place, and Elisa was traveling through it by herself which made her vulnerable to violence. And while she did complain of being followed, she didn't appear to be too rattled by it. If an unknown killer followed her up to the rooftop, that killer managed to evade security cameras, as well as hotel staff, and not leave a trace. Elisa had no clothes on when her body was discovered. Her autopsy showed no evidence of trauma or sexual assault. 
Many internet commentators who watched the elevator video speculated that Elisa was communicating with an invisible presence in the hallway. Considering the hotel's sinister history, some concluded the presence was a ghost. At times, when Elisa moved her hands, they appeared to bend at the wrist unnaturally. Unnatural, though, does not necessarily mean supernatural. People question how Elisa got to the water tanks at all. Access to the roof meant walking through a locked door and tripping a security alarm. These armchair sleuths failed to realize there were four routes to the place where Elisa died. Aside from locked doors and alarms, Elisa could have taken any of the three fire escapes directly to the towers and climbed in. Internet theorists also wondered how Elisa shut the heavy latch on the water tank. Well, she didn't. Despite many inaccurate reports that the hatch was closed, the employee who discovered her body stated that it was opened. Elisa was, after all, dealing with mental illness. She very well could have sunk into a depressive episode so deep it caused her to become suicidal. However, the day she went missing, she visited a bookstore. The manager of that bookstore, Katie Orphan, said Elisa was shopping for her family back in Canada and questioned if her purchases would be too heavy for her travel. Elisa loved writing and she loved her family. If she decided to kill herself, she likely would have left a note. According to Mayo Clinic, a person with bipolar disorder who is experiencing a manic episode may experience euphoria and have a diminished ability to make healthy decisions. Mania can also lead to psychosis, hallmarked by hallucinations, delusions, and even strange body movements, as seen in the video. The coroner concluded the cause of death was an accidental drowning, with bipolar disorder listed as a contributing factor. If she crashed into a depressive episode and committed suicide, the coroner would have listed it as such. It seems Alyssa was experiencing a bout of mania, possibly complicated by psychosis. Her blood work, for what little blood she had left, tested negative for drugs and alcohol. It did show all the medications she took to treat her illness, but not all of them in adequate doses. It is impossible to know what was happening inside of her mind. We only know that Alyssa was very sick and that her life ended before it began. Her family will never again enjoy her quick wit or her bright smile. And while to the internet world, Alyssa Lamb may be remembered as a peculiar death that made a good scary story, for her friends and family, she was extremely loved and will forever be missed. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. My room didn't look any better than the hallway. It was small, and the only amenities were the bed, a sink, and a box-shaped television. 
the carpet seemed to stick to my feet, probably from years of God only knows what being spilled onto the floor. There was no bathroom, and after some investigation, I discovered that the only bathroom was down the hall. It was dorm style, shared by every room on the floor. It would only be for a few nights, I told myself. I can do this. Unpacking my things, I arranged them on a small table next to the bed. I left my clothes in the suitcase, afraid that something might crawl into them if I took them out. After I'd settled in, I organized my hunting equipment, as I like to call it, on the bed and pulled out my laptop. Reclining on the bed with my back to the bare wall, I opened the laptop and began to read some of the research that I had saved about the Cecil. I had read about the suicides, the serial killers, the murders, and even the most recent story about the young college girl's strange death from less than a year ago. My guess is that by the looks of this place, these stories were just the tip of the iceberg. There were probably more that had been undocumented. It was while rereading the story of Elisa Lamb that I noticed something I had seemed to miss before. There had been a video captured of her on the day she went missing. The video was from a security camera in the elevator. It was disturbing because she seemed to act as if she was being followed or as if she was talking to someone unseen standing outside the elevator. She had repeatedly stepped outside of the elevator and after looking around, stepped back in and pushed buttons randomly. She repeated this several times and this went on for quite some time before she finally exited and was never seen again. What caught my attention was not the video itself. I had seen this already. What caught my attention was the speculation from other people that she had appeared to possibly be playing a game. A game that was intended to summon the supernatural. People online were calling it the elevator game. The game, according to what I read, was said to have originated in Korea and is a ritual game that gives the player access to another world. This might be just what I was looking for. Intrigued, I read as much as I could and took notes. I worked at it for about an hour, and when I was done, I had a step-by-step -step guide on how to play the game. I needed to rest, but I had to know. I couldn't wait. Grabbing my EMF gauge, my phone, and my handwritten instructions, I headed to the elevator. I took the elevator down to the ground floor because the rules say you must start at the bottom. Step 1. The building needs to have 10 stories. The Cecil has 14. Step 2. Make sure you are alone and that no one joins you in the elevator throughout the process. Otherwise, you must start over. From the lobby holding the instructions I had written, I pressed the button to summon the elevator. The elevators were slow, so I had time to go over the next step. Step 3. Press the button to the fourth floor. When you arrive, don't get out. Then go down to the second floor, up to the sixth floor, back down to the second floor, and then up to the tenth floor. Whatever you do, do not get out on any of these floors. That seemed easy enough, 
as long as no one decides to get on, causing me to start all over. The elevator bell dinged, and the doors finally slid open. I stepped in and proceeded to follow the instructions. Finally, press the button for the fifth floor. The elevator then should head towards the fifth floor, but if you have done every step correctly, it will bypass the fifth floor and go to the tenth floor. Once arriving on the tenth floor, the doors will open and a lady will step inside. This is where the instructions were very adamant. Do not look at her or speak to her, even if she seems familiar. Once she is inside, press the button for the first floor again. If the elevator takes you to the tenth floor instead of the first, you are still in the game. If it takes you to the first floor, exit and get off, the game is over. Do not speak and do not look back. So far, so good. I watched in amazement as the elevator went right by the fifth floor, which I had selected, and stopped on the tenth floor. The elevator paused, and for a moment, I didn't think the doors would open. Finally, with a deep groan, the doors began to open. I fully expected to see a spectral figure of a woman standing and waiting, but that is not who was there. Standing there, a mere two feet from the elevator, was Jay. Not the Jay I remembered, but Jay, the way he had looked his last day in this world. His skin was pale, and the right side of his face and head were covered in blood. Blood had filled his smashed eye socket, and his forehead and cheek were caved in. His lower lip was hanging from his face by a tiny thread of flesh, bearing a row of blood-soaked teeth. I gasped and held my breath, but I didn't say a word as the macabre clone of my best friend stepped forward and entered the elevator. I did as the instructions said, and I pressed the button to the first floor. The elevator lurched into action, but instead of filling it lower, I felt it begin to rise. I watched the lights as we passed floor six, floor seven, floor eight. The elevator kept going, past the ninth floor, and past the tenth. It didn't stop as it approached the fourteenth floor. I began to feel uneasy. The elevator didn't stop on the 14th floor. It finally, slowly came to a stop at the roof. The doors creaked open, and without thinking, I ran out. My heart was racing. I heard a voice behind me ask, Do you want to be with me? Don't you miss me? I saw the huge water tank standing there towering over me. And I was afraid. I was afraid I was about to find out how that poor girl died. I moved away from the tank and made my way to the far side of the roof. I turned around and the dead Jay was standing right there with me. He looked more grotesque than before. His flesh looked gray with decay. I could almost smell the rot oozing from his body. 
I tried to shove my way past him, but he grabbed my shoulders with bony, sticky fingers. You have been looking for me. Now you have found me. Answer my question. Do you miss me? I shuddered. Of course I miss you, but I don't want to be with you. Not like this. His grip tightened until I thought my skin would break. He began to laugh. Not Jay's laugh, but something evil. Something not of this world. And suddenly, he shoved me. I saw the roof of the Cecil as this specter looked over the edge laughing as I plummeted down towards the ground. I landed with a thud that sent pain coursing through my body. I pushed myself up on my elbows and looked around. I saw the stained sticky carpet and the peeling paint of my hotel room. I must have fallen from my bed and landed on the floor. Once I caught my breath, I quickly packed my things. Whether that was a dream or not, I wasn't spending another minute in this godforsaken place. I had answers, but now I had new questions. As I threw my shirt over my shoulders, I caught my reflection in the cracked mirror over the sink. There were deep purple bruises beginning to form around my shoulders. I realized then that some questions are better left unanswered. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Tune in next week as we talk about the Baba Yaga, the wicked witch of Slavic folklore that has haunted fairy tales and the forest for centuries. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.